On episode 18 of The Makers, we talk about food-grade quality printing. Is it even possible? We talk about Labyrinth gift boxes. We also talk about Autodesk plugins. Hello, Podnutsians. Welcome to The Makers, episode 18. My name is Door to Door Geek. This is a show on podnuts.com, all about building, breaking, and learning, where we talk about CNCing, 3D printing, milling, painting, sandpapering, super gluing, epoxying, uh, stapling, even. Why not stapling? Um, um, I want to first and foremost thank a couple people for they are the newest Patreon pledgers. Uh, I want to thank Yuki treats he's told me like three times how to pronounce his name in the past i can never remember uky treats thank you very much for your pledge i also want to thank john bert bert bertram for their pledge and last but not least i want to thank liam tidwell for his pledge he's on the show and he pledged this is kind of like the snake eating its own tail that fits liam perfect i've heard never mind okay um this week, uh, we did take off last week, but I don't think it's we're going to have double the content this week. Uh, we will have some content, though, I will say that. We're going to start out with the round the table. Uh, Brett, man, I hope you had a good week. Uh, did you do any building, breaking, or learning? Um, let's see. I did some building. I uh, finished a few of the little consoles that I've been building, sent those out. So that was nice. Um, breaking. Um, I didn't break much, but I tried as always, but uh, that's about it for me. Just uh, working on those consoles. Very cool, very cool. Um, progress is good no matter how you look at it. Uh, we're also joined by Aaron. Hey, Aaron, hope everything's going well. Uh, have you done any building, breaking, or learning? Hey, guys, how's it going? Um, yeah, I've been doing a lot of printing uh, printing lately, uh, trying to uh, work on the spool holder uh, concept that we were uh, talking about a few weeks ago, and... Um, other than that, uh, oh, had a had an issue with um, my uh, 3D printer kind of skipping a beat. Just had to. Luckily, it was something simple. Um, Re-oiled uh, the rails and uh, clean it off, and it was good to go again. So thank goodness for that. But other than that, not a lot. I I am not gonna lie. I never even thought about that as being something you would need to do. So it basically like dried out. Uh, yeah, kinda, you know, um, it, so like for me being in my garage, you know, there's a lot of, uh, dust that accumulates over time and, uh, and then it, you know, you have like a light ma- sewing machine oil that is, uh, usually on there, very light, like you would wipe it on and then you just run it a few times back and forth and then wipe off all the excess and just leave it like that. Um, some people have put grease and stuff on theirs, and I've seen lots of issues with that. Um, talking about the FT5 rails, <clears throat> but uh, so yeah, I just took uh, some uh, super light uh, sewing machine oil, uh, put it on there. You know, ran it, ran the rails a few times, wiped them off. It's good to go again. Where did you uh, Where do you get the sewing machine oil? Is it just Amazon, or is there? Oh, I just go down to the local. Uh, uh, what is a craft store like? Um, Michael's or Joanne yeah, Fabrics exactly. or anybody's exactly. going to have it. Okay, um, yep. Joanne Fabrics. Do, either that or I use graphite. Yeah, yeah. you don't want to use grease because it 
does Too more thick. harm than good with the dust and everything it gathers. Yeah, I've been yeah. using uh, white lithium, and it's it's working okay, but... Uh, yeah, you're you're yeah. right on the edge. It, it'll collect dust, and it'll start adding resistance after a yeah, while. Yeah, that, that's what started to happen. Uh, get yourself either some uh, graphite powder um, or a sewing machine oil, something real light. Okay, cool. And you can pick up, like, the graphite powder you can find at, like, a Fred Meyers or a... Um, you know, a department store that has where you would find like keys or locks or, you know, Dremel tool stuff. It's going to be kind of right in that same area. Okay, cool. You can also go to the auto parts store and pick up a speedometer cable lubricant. It's graphite yep, yep. Um, oil. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, hey, Chad, have you done any building, breaking, or learning in the last week? Well, I've done a lot of things. I don't know if I've learned anything. Do I ever? But, um, yeah, I've done quite a bit of stuff. I got that Delta just running perfectly. I mean, there's a few things I could do to get it a little better, but I don't know. It, it It's printing dimensionally right, and it's making great prints, so I'm going to probably leave it as it sits for now. Um, <clears throat> I did... Um, I was machining one of my clocks and the spindle stopped working. The potentiometer failed. So it was getting no resistance back or something. And it was <clears throat> stalling out my spindle. So that was a mess. <laughs> and then I found out one of my wires was loose on my Z axis on my router on the CN MPCNC. And uh, it took about a half hour to figure out what was going on there. It just sit there and jump and skip, and that was fun. But you got everything running really good right now, and I'm going to start trying to pump out some parts. Since I don't have a job right now, i got to try to make some money somewhere. <laughs> well, yeah, you said uh, about the job thing privately to us before. Um, I will say I'm happy that it was, what, less than 24 hours after that, uh, you had a guy basically give you an order for three clocks. Well, yeah, three um, clocks plus... Um, possibly four or five more if I can get them done before Christmas and stuff. Um, which I think I can. With this thing, if my machine keeps running really good and everything goes good, I should have enough time to do it. So, hopefully, I got plenty of work. I just need to get it done. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Uh, the one thing I was gonna ask you to do was, can you take what you would consider to be your finest print so far coming out of that Delta printer and take a couple pictures of it. I'll post it to uh, Patreon and in the discord, by the way, if you're a Patreon subscriber, you will get immediate access to our discord server. Discord server also has the ability to watch the show live when it's being broadcast. We might also do a pre-show from the discord. Um, not sure yet, but we might do that. Um, because I'm very interested, Chad, in this kind of printer. I want to see, well, first off, you have more experience than most of the people getting into this, but I'm very interested to see the quality of that print, like, by a good picture, because I'm very interested in the Delta printers. Well, what I'll do is I'll, I, I've been just printing out simple little things right now, but what I'll do is I'll print out a Marvin, and that usually shows off the uh, details pretty well. I don't know. Do one on there, and maybe I'll even record it for put it up on YouTube for on the Makers Channel. Very cool. Um, we're also joined this evening by um by um James. Um, have you built, broken, or learned anything? Because I know one thing for sure: you've been hell of a busy. 
Yeah, I have. I've built, I've broken, and I've learned. Um, thought I killed the PC that runs my router earlier this week, which sucked. I was in the middle of about a two-hour program, uh, milling a bunch of uh, eighth-inch aluminum sheet, and uh, suddenly um, I'm I got a computer, an older computer, because I need a parallel port running Linux CNC. Suddenly the computer just shuts down in the middle of the program. I'm just like, okay boot it back up and it says I've had a thermal event and uh, it's like oh okay I guess I better keep an eye on it started the program up again uh, fortunately um, my steppers like didn't really lose any steps I was kind of in between um, cuts when it crapped out and um, so I uh, you know start running again about a minute later it cuts off again and um, so I was just like, okay, crap. And I took the computer apart, blew everything out. There's a bunch of aluminum chips in it that had gotten sucked into the vents and stuff because it's sitting right next to a router. One of those things, it's like, yeah, I'll fix that soon. I know that's not a good situation. Tons of dust blowing out of it from all the MDF I've been machining around it and stuff. And uh, after that, it worked. So I went ahead and built like a, uh, a shield, like a big clear acrylic shield between the router and um, all the electronics. Um, so, you know, I can still see what I'm doing, but stuff's not going to fly into the computer. That seemed to take care of it. It hasn't crapped out since. But, uh, yeah, for a little while there, I was pretty nervous because it's, you know, it's a, at least a 10-year-old computer. And, uh, you know, it's been running fine, but I was just like, oh, yeah, that's all I need this week. You know, middle of a prototype that's, pretty important to my livelihood so yeah i was relieved when it was working gotcha, but, gotcha. Uh, yeah as far as learning i learned that i need to not procrastinate so much and uh, go ahead and build a shield to keep the chips from you know landing on my motherboard while i'm milling gotcha gotcha well the pod nuts question i have to ask you is did you use a leaf blower to blow out the computer no <laughs> no i didn't I use an air compressor, but uh, yeah, that would have worked. <laughs> had to ask, had to ask. Uh, we're also joined by uh, Liam. Uh, hey, hey, Liam. Building, breaking, and learning. I know you did some building. You you did some custom stuff. A am I right? Um, I've done some printing. I've done uh, some projects and uh, some commissions. Nothing super important there. But yeah, I've been, mostly what I've been learning is firmware. I, uh. I'm going to say I broke the A-net because it's, well, it's no longer an A-net. It's, it's been torn down, and I finally have the uh, the board replaced. I've got a, a new one in and then a second new one because the first one they sent me was a Ramps 1.5 when I wanted a MKS board. So I've been writing the firmware for it. I updated the firmware on my FT5 to Marlin 1.1.3, and then shortly after to 1.1.6, got uh, filament change working, updated the LCD on it to the to the the full graphics and uh been playing with it just gotta get little bits and bobbles for the a net so i can get in stops mounted and, and then it's pretty much ready to go it doesn't want to run if you don't have in stops for some damn reason what have you uh been building breaking and learning well the first thing i'm going to ask you is the old um philosophical question is if you have a boat you take it out of port you take it all around the world and during your travels you have to replace pieces and parts but by the time the ship comes back to port, everything's been re um re um re um placed. 
is it the same ship that went out or not? And that's what happened to your A net. You've basically now replaced almost everything on the printer. So now the question is, are we classifying that as an A net or not? And if not, what's its new name? Yeah, um, I, I guess it really is a new machine at this point where I've only thing left is the the steppers and a little bit of cabling. So I think it's we're just gonna net. Yeah, we're gonna call it the printinator with an eight, because you know, it does have that A net A eight root. Well yeah, but you're not saying it right. The print inator Yeah, I, I thought. Yeah, yeah. I, sorry, I forgot to do from smirts it up. Exactly. Um finishing for sorry. Um me I will say I did print a I believe it was called a labyrinth, which is like the tube puzzle thing. Um, it was the first thing I literally printed in over two weeks, and I will say the first time I printed it, we figured out, aka you guys figured out, that I had my bed, my Z adjustment on my bed incorrect. It was too far up, so the print was basically getting smashed into it, and it turned out for the first at least probably two layers, it wasn't extruding enough correctly, so the bottom of the print was extremely thin and flimsy. Um so I basically adjusted the bed, adjusted the bed, all four knobs, printed it out again. And just that was amazingly different on that end that was touching the glass. But I am still going to go back and do another tweak before I print something else. But I will say this labyrinth is the perfect kind of thing to bring into an environment where people kind of know what 3D printing is, but they don't know exactly what it is and show them this is what I printed. The main reason I love it, because everybody looks at it thinking, oh, I can figure this out e e easily. Then I quickly put the whole thing back on to where you can't see all the puzzle, and then they spend 15 minutes trying to undo it. And, of course, they finally give up and hand it to me, so then I undo it because I've done it a billion times. And then take, take it right apart and then hand it back to them. I'm really tempted to put gifts in them for Christmas and give them to nieces and nephews kind of thing. That's a good idea. I, I've always liked those little, uh, whether it be the maze maze games where you get a prize once you once you figure out what it, what it is. Those are always fun. Well, and I will say um, that was one of the things that when my printer was ordered and in route and I was waiting for it, one of the things I saw that really intrigued me and really made me want to look at doing more printing was puzzles of all magnitudes um, just because then if I actually can do designing, then I can take them and twist them and make my own kind of thing because I could make this labyrinth, I don't want to say 10 times harder, but more complex, you know what I mean? Um, to make it even more difficult, longer uh, kind of thing. Uh, and of course, because I have a CR-10, which is 200 by 200 by 300 millimeters, then I can make this actually much bigger. So I told the wife, if you want to, we can print it even bigger and then put like a gift card in it. Um, I will say the one thing the wife said, if we do it, do it as gifts, she wanted my son, if you take a look at the labyrinth gift box, it will be in the notes. All of the indented grooves, which are all the possible paths you can travel, she wanted painted in uh, just to highlight it. She thought it would look a little bit better, different kind of thing. And I could do each part in a separate color like it is on Thingiverse. So I might end up doing that. Um, I've now dedicated myself to learning a designing software and a good friend of mine uh knucklehead tech who we hope to have on the show here soon just got a 3d printer he's a open source advocate and he said he wanted to learn one and when i was telling him the choices he could run on linux he gravitated toward open scad 
initially just because of its name and he did some reading on it so i'm going to try to learn some open scat and see if me and him can make some basic things and then start to grow from there um i can't get my son reinvigorated about this he played super mario odyssey on switch like 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 he had a narcotic habit and now all he wants to play is um um uh rocket league so i don't know when i'm going to be able to talk to him again (laughs) <laughs> Sounds like my son. SCAD is, um, yeah, probably the most kind of open source software out there. That's you know probably the only one really that's going to work for you on Linux. Um, my limited experience with it is it's not intuitive at all. It's a little bit difficult to pick up. But um, yeah, if you're on Linux, um, it's that or Moto, and Moto costs eighteen hundred dollars. Uh, you know, so and it's definitely not open source. And with SCAD, it's also a uh, Lua. Is that the programming language it's in? But yeah. it's um, you can do code. You know to do your designs it's it takes in code too so yeah you can write plugins you know, for it and stuff. yeah pretty it's pretty friendly to uh be an act you know you can write plugins to do just about anything in it but you know if you're a linux guy that's uh you you're probably gonna do okay with that but uh yeah it's uh not at all intuitive just warning you up front when you learn how to start using it or if you're an old web designer where you had to do everything in code, you know, for your boxes and all your buttons and stuff, you'll know. Yeah, you'll the, feel right at home. You'll be right at home. It's it's old school. It's 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 not graphically intense. It runs on very low end systems, which is cool. Um, there is issues with it. I've looked into it. It's it's very difficult to learn. Yeah. Right. Well, I'll, I'll say using Linux now for over 10 years, I kind of expected going into it that it would be n- nothing about it, simple, quick, or uh, easy. Um, I will say I have written a lot of old school code. I like if something is geometrically makes sense, I don't think I'm going to have a problem writing the code. But if I have to like to design a bat wing, I think I'm going to need hallucinogenics in order to do it because, um, yeah, that's really crazy difficult math. Um, I doing did... organic modeling in SCAD is going to be very difficult. Uh, you you will be able to import um, like STLs and stuff, but doing any kind of that actual modeling in SCAD is going to be like I won't say impossible, but it's not really designed for that. It's going to be difficult. Gotcha, gotcha. And I will say I did encourage him. To look at um, on shape and even Tinkercad, I'll admit it. I've heard, I've heard to look at Tinkercad just because it's in the browser, which means you could use it on any computer and w- start on one, finish on a uh, finish on a different computer, and everything works se- seamlessly. Um, in a couple places where he spends his time, he has very limited bandwidth or very monitored bandwidth, so he didn't want to do something that was online. So he kind of frowned away from them initially. It literally might turn out to be one of those things. Me and him both try it. We've already found a couple of channels on YouTube where people will tell you how to do stuff. Um, it might turn out the kind of thing after a week or two, we both just throw our hands up in disgust and we move on to something else. I would recommend Onshape in the browser or a second choice would be Fusion 360 in the browser. 
Like that, their browser functionality is still limited, but they're updating it like once a month and they add a bunch of stuff every month. Um, I, I didn't think the Fusion 360 web was publicly available. Uh, I think as of about a month ago, it is. Oh, well, you have to request. You have to request access to it. Um, yeah, you can. If you're already using Fusion 360, you can request access to it. I don't know if you can request access to it if you're not using it already, but you can if you're already a user, you can request access. But you could still set up an account in Linux. You don't have to download it and install it and use it. They're not going to check that. But if you set up a Fusion 360 account and then request access, you know, I mean, I doubt they're going to be like, well, yeah, but use it on your computer. You can, well, I'm in Linux. That's why I'm using it in the browser. And they're probably going to be fine with it. That I'd, I'd be very surprised if, uh, if you know, you get denied access or something because you weren't actually physically using it. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I will definitely give that a shot. And I would venture to believe even a, a Fusion 360 in the web browser that's only 20% useful is still better than some other solutions. Yeah, it's pretty limited, but uh, they're, like I said, they're adding stuff every month. So it's probably going to add functionality as you learn how to use it anyway. So, But Onshape, uh, Onshape would probably be my number one choice. Like SCAD, I mean, I'm all for it in concept, but at the execution, it's, it's, it's a tough one to jump into as a beginner. It really is. Well, we're at the point with computers and, and GUIs and everything that there's no reason not to have a WYSIWYG um, design yeah. program. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, no, first topic I actually want to get into came in from a Patreon uh, subscriber, Black Death. He wanted to know about basically food grade quality making and i'm gonna i'm gonna say 3d printing um here's the gist of what i think i've seen one there are people out there selling you food um food grade quality food safe quality xyz enter whatever you want after that whether it be filament print heads blah 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 but none of that actually matters as far as the actual standards set forth by the fda Bottom line, once you push that filament through your extruder on your 3D printer, it fails all standards because you're not in a 100% protected environment. The nozzle's been had other stuff through it. It's been heated and dirty and blah. And it, so if you're trying to go by federal standards of food safe and food grade with your own home e home stuff in your garage or whatever, I don't think it's even possible to meet those standards. I wouldn't say impossible, but difficult. Like you can set up a food grade kitchen at home. I used to have a farm and I used to sell produce. So we did. And there's a few things you do have to meet. But yeah, you're right. If you just set it up in your garage, I don't care if you're using food grade filament or whatever. It's not going to be food grade. You're going to need a designated extruder that's never pushed a non-food grade material through it. It's going to need to be in a room that meets the minimum requirements of you know an fda approved kitchen basically for it to be food grade having said that though um if you're not worried about fda approval and if you're just worried about making something that's not going to leach crap into your food if you use an fda approved food grade filament and you use a designated head for that you know you're going to be fine if you use a head that's extruded other stuff as well 
Um, you know, that's a different story. You might, maybe, you may not be. I don't really know enough about the chemistry, but if it was me, I'd just run a bunch of food grade filament through it, you know, to kind of flush it out maybe before I uh, printed anything out of it. And uh, probably be fine, you know. But, uh, but yeah, I to, to, to do something food grade, unless you have a real compelling reason, like you've got a business that that's really critical for, yeah, you're not going to do it without spending some money. You know, you have to have a, there's a bunch of weird regulations you got to live up to. Like you can't have horizontal surfaces like that aren't used, uh, you know, like as shelves or whatever and clean and all this stuff because there got like dust might gather on it and all this. It's it's crazy all the stuff you got to live up to for it. Well, I mean, the dose makes the poison, so. The stuff you're printing out. I mean, are you, are you printing out a cup that's going to be heirloom and you're going to pass down to several generations? Yeah, that's probably going to get nasty and kill somebody eventually. Are you making a one-off cookie cutter for the for the season and then you're going to throw it in the garbage until you need another one? Yeah, you're fine. Yeah, I think it's what you're trying to do. Like, if I own a bar um, and we have to pass health code all the time, you know, we're inspected all the time for it. And any... <clears throat> porous surface is not allowed in your kitchen it can't it's everything's got to be non-porous wiped down uh bleachable so like your stainless steels you can't have anything that's going to rust you got everything's gotta pass health code but would i make a cup out of pet g and drink out of it sure i wouldn't care but i'm not going to sell to somebody and say this is food safe you know, that's that's why I think you, you got to decide if you're selling it, then you've got to take some of that responsibility on and figure it out. And you wouldn't use anything 3D printed. It's never going to pass um, any health code. It's too yeah, porous. just assume. It's, yeah, it's the porosity is going to get you. Yeah, your porousness, your light, your layer, all your layer gaps are going to collect bacteria. You can never clean it perfectly because of the porousness of the the way it just melts together. There's going to be air gaps. I mean, it's hard enough to make something that will hold liquid, you know, 3D printing, you know. So, but if it's for your personal use, you use a non-leaching material like PETG, you're going to be fine, I think, personally. Gotcha, gotcha. And what I'll say about running stuff through your printer, the, uh, here's my example. I have my new wallet that I printed out of the uh, filament we got for free from, who was the name of the company again, Liam? AIO Robotics. Thank you very much, sir. I got green. It wasn't quite pod nuts green, but it's a nice green, I think. Uh, the very bottom of my print, the last color that went through my printer was black. And I, and I didn't think about it. So what I really should have did was I should have started like our test cube until I was sure all the black got out of the nozzle. So the very bottom, like the first layer, layer and a half, there's definitely mixed in some darkness from the previous filament. And I'll say I was kind of shocked. I didn't even realize that that much would stay in that nozzle. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and now just because I can see it, that tells me there's probably a, a little bit of black, at least microscopic, almost throughout this entire print. 
Yeah, that's the reason. Like, if you're serious about it, you'd want to have a food grade nozzle and like a normal use nozzle. Gotcha, gotcha. And I'll say I do like this print. The one thing I do want to try to do though is I want to try to import this STL into a application and see if I can get rid of the words on the side. It's the guy who printed it, Pent Pentland Designs. I just want to get rid of that, um, just because. And um, send me the link to the file, I'll get the words out for you. Gotcha, yeah, you gotcha. can just throw it in MeshMaker and get that out too. That's easy enough. That's easy to do. Well, and I know I could have done it in the slicer that we all tried that none of us could really get completely working. Yeah, an Idea Maker would idea do maker. it too. Yeah, that right. would do it too because you could slice off that end and just replace it with a the other side's end. Slice that and copy it over. Flip it. But I think mesh, mesh, mesh maker would be your best choice for that because it works. It's meant to work with STLs, you know. Gotcha, gotcha. And, and I'll say that was my only pain point with using on shape. Importing STLs didn't really do what I was expecting it to do. There's too many faces. Like STLs break everything down into these little square or triangle. It's a triangular um, object file. It's super small files and super easy for computers to read the files, but when modeling, they become very difficult to model. And yeah, it's super small files if you're reading it as an STL. If you translate it to any other CAD format, it's like 50 times the size of a normal CAD file because all those triangles are defined as surfaces. Um, so yeah, if you bring it in a mesh mixer or something, it's going to be easy to handle. If you bring it into a normal CAD platform, it's going to be very difficult. Um, incidentally, Fusion 360, uh, mesh mixer or Moto would probably be the number one choices for getting the letters out. Yeah, in mesh mixer, all you have to do is collect, uh, select that surface and smooth surface and, um, uh, create new plane on that surface and it cure that right up. Gotcha, gotcha. And Liam put a link in the uh, chat here. I'm also going to make sure this is in the notes. This is to a Russian doll labyrinth gift box, aka a puzzle inside of a puzzle inside of a puzzle. Um, I personally love this. This is like being able to torture children all year round kind of thing. Um, I would like to print this, and I like how they have each part printed in a different color. Hey, just quickly to go back to the food safe thing, I just thought about this. There is a epoxy coating you could put on any print and seal it up, and then it would pass, you know, um, food grade somewhat. It'll never FDA pass, but it would be um, definitely keep the bacteria from getting in small gaps and stuff. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so I mean, my son printed a cup. It was a Triforce cup, just a little cup, cone-shaped, smaller at the bottom, bigger at the top, had a Triforce emblem on it. He printed it out, drank milk out of it like once or twice, and then I explained to him, we're not putting it in the dishwasher. When you use it, we're just going to hand clean it out kind of thing. And then when I told him why we couldn't put it in the dishwasher, then he was like, uh... Why did you let me drink out of that cup even once? I said, look, you can drink out of it a couple times. There's no problem. If it heats, if it hits an extreme temperature of heat, then we're going to have, you know, 
things happen inside of it and possibly like i'm gonna guess like mold grow inside it kind of thing so after that now he won't drink out of the cup yeah i think at a certain point we become too paranoid on what's safe to use you know it's i don't know i agree um i i'm drinking out of wooden cups i mean come on yeah, wood it's, is probably know, the least safe thing out there as far as that stuff goes, and I wouldn't hesitate oh, to drink out of super. You know, it's like if you use a cutting board, like you use a non-food safe surface. You know, yeah, a wood cutting board does not is not allowed in any kitchen. I mean, any restaurant kitchen, you're never going to be able to use a wood cutting board. Gotcha. So yeah, there's definitely a certain point where it's just paranoia. It's all your personal choice, I guess. But if you are selling it, uh, I used to have a farm. I used to sell milk. I used to sell eggs and stuff like that. If you are selling it, you need to adhere to the FDA regulations to the letter or you are asking for trouble. All it takes is one person getting sick and you're done. Yeah, your business is done. You can go to jail over certain violations. Like It's not anything to mess around with. It really isn't. If you think you're going to make some cool coffee mugs and go to a, you know, art festival or something and sell them, don't do it unless you really want to take on that burden. Well, I mean, do it, but sell them as pencil holders. There you go. Intent is everything. Uh, but speaking of paranoia, Aaron, uh, what kind of links do you have in your topics? Well, and the only reason I even brought this up is we were discussing this Oh, a few weeks ago in uh, in our Voxer chat, and I came across this and thought I'd just throw it up there or put it out there for anybody that even cares. I mean, but uh, so what this is, is um, a filter for your 3D printer um, particles, like if you're printing ABS or something like that, that puts out uh, the VOC smells, you know, or uh, anything other other kind of smell that, you, you know, you, it's basically admissions for your, you know, an emission air filter that you can hook up to your 3D printer. And it's got a hose that's kind of like right next to the nozzle as it's printing, and it'll take those fumes and run through this filter. Um, it's currently on a Kickstarter. But the Kickstarter just, I just looked and the Kickstarter was over, what was it, two days ago? So they said that after the Kickstarter is over, they'll be selling them for um, 19, what was it, 1990 European euros, which equals out to 23.75 or something uh, US. Um and that's for a two pack, oh, 2347. And that's for a two pack. And what it says here is uh, that the results show that um, that this will remove 99% of ultrafine particles and 90% of the VOCs when printing ABS. So if it, if you're really concerned or have issues where you're you're constantly printing in a, you know in an area that is not properly filtered or at least has some fans going or something, then you might want to consider something like this. Uh, it says each filter will last uh, 500 hours worth of printing. So, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty good. That's a lot of printing, honestly. 
I agree. And it looks yeah. like even if you have a open printer, the way this connects to your printer, it basically has like a, a vacuum end to it. For 20 bucks, if you're at all concerned about this, this is an easy way to at least uh, relieve the anxiety. Yeah, uh, yeah that's a no-brainer. I think I'd buy, I mean, at that price, you just might as well, you know. Well, I think it's a great idea for guys that don't want, don't have a window close or like here, I'm up in North Dakota and it's cold out. You know, do you want to rip the plastic off your window to vent out, you know? Yeah, it's... that's my issue here. I just do it in my garage where nobody's breathing. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's like New England winters. I'm not going to open a window. Yeah, same here. I'm I'm in my garage as well. I mean, our winters aren't super cold like that, but uh, they're cold, cold enough and rainy, so I wouldn't open up my garage door. Um but uh, yeah, this is some cool, and it, it actually looks pretty appealing. Um, it's not to a total eyesore, and it looks like you print the nozzle like they give you the STL, and you print the nozzle that attaches to the um, inside of your printer, and uh, it's called the Zimpier air filter. Um, it says printing admissions cleared with the Zimpier air filter. So. Um, you know, it looks interesting, and uh, maybe once they actually, yeah, thank you, Dor. Uh, once they actually have uh, them released to everybody else, maybe I'll pick up one. So I think a guy could do this with a HEPA filtered um, HEPA filter charcoal. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah that's I, what I was I thinking have that a too. Air purifier system for my house. Uh, it's a I don't know. It's not a huge unit. It just circulates air through a HEPA filter, basically. And I could easily retrofit one of those to do the same thing, I think. Because all you got to do is trap, you know, send the, send it through some active charcoal and send it through a HEPA filter, and you'd probably be fine, too. But yeah, for, 20 bucks, for 20 bucks, I don't know if you could re retrofit anything to cheaper. I mean, that's actually a pretty good deal. Like, you see those guys that, when you're soldering, they have the um, soldering filters too, so, the air filters. Yeah, it's for like soldering. a vacuum. Yeah. yeah, it's like a vacuum. We have them at work, yeah. and they work. They work great. Very. Cool. I like sm I like smelling the solder. So you know, is that an issue? I mean, well, it depends what kind of flux. <laughs> yeah, you flux use. smells nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Flux is smells after good. A few minutes. <laughs> when you start getting those headaches, then you know you got you you got a good dose. That's right. Details. Well, the, the, the rosin and the flux, I don't think it ever leaves your lungs, really. Like, that's actually a serious issue. Yeah, it's, um, a, heavy it's a heavy material. It, it, it goes to the bottom of your lungs and rests there. It's great. Good times. <laughs> awesome. Good times. That's why I only solder upside down. Liam does it'll everything just come upside out. down. So. Well, it's how we do it in Canada. Where? What, are you south of the what? what is that? What is it's, that? It's like Australia, but opposite. So here's my thing with that filter. I'm not going to puzzle that out. Someone tells me they got a filter that's going to super, super duper be awesome and save my life and everything. And then they tell me it's 20 bucks. I'm like, yeah, no thanks. I Why? will say. Why? Well, because there is a bias affiliated with value and cost and if something costs 20 bucks most people will say well then it can't be very good where if it was 80 dollars or 200 dollars people would say well then it must be good oh so you're saying it's a cost marketing problem 
Um, I, it just doesn't feel right. Maybe it right. is right. Maybe it's not. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. But with ABS, honestly, the real issue is it puts a bunch of little microscopic particles in the air. Um, that's going to be caught pretty easily by a filter. Having said that, uh, I'd be skeptical about it actually capturing volatile organic um, organic compounds, uh, VOCs, because well, that yeah, I don't think is, it's going to catch VOCs. I, I mean, it says it, but I'm skeptical about that. That's you know, that's gaseous, you know, chemicals. That's not little particles, and I don't think a filter is going to catch that. Charcoal will catch that, but uh, you can. You know, a charcoal filter, if you leave a charcoal filter of any kind out for a week and you don't reseal it, it's sucked up whatever it's going to suck up in the air, you know. Yeah, it's, active charcoal is only active for a certain amount of time. I'm kind of like that, but yeah. Well, I'll say if their um, quality of picking up VOCs matches the their ability to transform pallets into coffee tables, then I really do question how much they're going to be able to capture. Because if you go to their Kickstarter page, they just took three pallets and stacked them on top of one another, and they call it a coffee table. But I digress. Um, I know I saw that. I was going to say something, too. <laughs> well, for 20 bucks, if it picks up particles and not VOCs, that's good enough for ABS. You know, that's fine. Um, you but yeah, so I'd be many skeptical a- of the whole VOC stuff. The VOCs, you you breathe in that stuff every time you buy a new product from China. I mean, because yep. they seal them without curing them. Um, anytime, I mean, anytime you're in a building with like plywood you, you built spray, before the '90s, or spray paint, or yeah. any green treated lumber, you're gonna have asbestos. You're gonna have um, arsenic. It's gonna be in there. I mean, come on. There's so many things out there that people don't even know that they're breathing in. I mean. So you're just adding a tiny little bit more to the pile, I guess. <laughs> well, so here's my real issue with it, ultimately. Um, a guy looks at this and thinks, oh, yeah, I need something. I've been meaning to put something together to protect myself, my family, whatever, my business. And and they're like, all right, I got this thing for 20 bucks. I'm protected. Where the other option, the better option, is proper ventilation. So, you know, it's Steve Jobs going and visiting his guru that says, eat this diet. And your cancer's better. No, go see a damn oncologist. But are they trying to sell it to businesses? I mean, they're selling it to a guy. Their their, their whole marketing scheme is to sell it to guys that don't have ventilation. It's yeah, an option. that's true. They're not trying to say, "Hey, this is don't don't go ventilating. Just use this." It's it's more of no. I'm not saying they're saying you that you can use this. But I'm saying that people are going to go and do one and think it takes place of yeah, the other. Yeah, that's true. Whether they say it or not, people are going to be like, oh, no, I'm cool. I got one of these $20 filters on there. Right. They'll think, well, yeah, I, I just took this one pill. Now I can do whatever I want kind of thing. Um, I think it's a better than nothing type situation. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. I agree to an extent, but nothing is a really good motivator to get something good. But if right. you're in an apartment and they don't allow you to, to ventilate through your windows, like some apartments won't allow you to put air conditioners in your window. They won't allow you to, um, they, they mandate how, what kind of shades you can have on your windows. I mean, yeah, that's true. So the guy that's in an apartment but wants a 3D printer, this is a second, this is the next best thing. I mean, it's not a bad thing. It's just don't. If you can do ventilation, do ventilation. 
But if you can't, give this thing a try, I think. Yeah. By no means am I saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying that that's my my big concern. Um, This is a lot cheaper than getting a grow tin or a box and then putting an actual filter and fan on there. Yeah, it's like those people who buy one of those dust masks and then go spray painting thinking they're good because they got a $2 dust mask. <laughs> exactly. That is not a respirator. Oh, man. I Jeez, I thought that was totally fine. No, I think actually... For a little while it is, and then you can't remember your name. Another option is to get the grow tent. Don't ventilate it. Just don't open it right after you print. Let, let all the particles settle, and you're going to be fine, too. I mean... I, but then again, I print with ABS all the time with no ventilation. But then again, look at me. <laughs> yeah, you're, to- you're totally fine. I, I mean, no issues. I urge to say it. <laughs> well, well I'm is... not the poster child for safety here. I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah, same here. I've got, for my work with epoxies and stuff, I've got so many chemicals in my system, it's not funny. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I have my router going, making all those fine particle dust and cutting whatever material and who knows what's in that glue that holds boards together i mean you get that airborne i don't know but i don't care <laughs> but that's me it's my personal choice you guys do what you need to do yeah um, 5207 chad gets buzzed got it <laughs> um beep so here's I, I kind of got into this trap when I was building my enclosure for my Wanho. I I found a project online, got some STLs, ordered um, some respirator filters, did some printed adapters, and then I thought, you know what? I'm up against an exterior wall. Instead of going through all this trouble and having a fan that I have to that has to be very very strong to push it through the respirator filter and replace filters on the regular, why don't I just Use that same fan, turn it down low, and put a um, a port on this back wall. So sometimes you, you get you get tunnel vision, and you just need to step back and go: Is this really the best answer? Or is it just the one that I'm vested in at the moment? Yeah, a- absolutely yeah. agree. Uh, if this is the kind of thing you, the listener, at least want to look at, check out. It is Z I M P R P U R E, or for the Kenduadians in the crowd, Z. I M P U R E. It will be in the notes as well. Um, I really do. I, I really do like the idea of this, but at the same token, Liam, I do agree. Nothing beats real ventilation. You know what I did? I just plumbed into my dryer vent outlet for mine. And you know, already got a whole, most people already got a, a exhaust out of their house for their dryer vent. And, uh, you just plumb into that and, uh, little fan, you know, near your printer that does fine. I, you know, what I'd like to see is uh, Liam do a full write-up on his uh, setup that he did, because that's honestly the true way to do it. Yeah, the I, whole grow tent thing is great. I wouldn't say it's the true way to do it, but it's the best effort I'm going to put forward. I'm not ever going to get any crazy. Because, <laughs> I mean, even well, HEPA filters only uh, particulate down to, like, 0. 0.03 microns and i think abs outputs stuff at 0.01 microns if i remember my reading on it so eh, it's 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 very strong force ventilation and it's it's going out the wall so yeah 
I don't know. I feel it's a great way, a great way that you did it. So I mean, it definitely should be posted. You know, it's a good DIY uh, um, setup. I I certainly maximize the reward to effort ratio. Absolutely. Well, and I'll say I agree. But Liam, the correct Podnuts answer to Aaron would have been yes, Aaron. I think that's a great idea. Why don't you get started on it? <laughs> yeah, I'll take his pictures. Yeah, sure. Uh, you can fly down and take care of it. Um, there's a couple links in here from you, Liam. The first one, I don't even know if I can pronounce correctly. Well, let's hear you try. Okay, well, let me do a little click and then a right click and then a copy link and put it in the browser for the viewers to see. It is looks like it's called Ultem, kind of like a bad character who got dis- discarded from a Thor movie. Yeah, that was perfect, man. I've been shooting that stuff for years, and I've never heard that comparison made. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, PEI. This is a, a place I ordered my last couple sheets of PEI from, and uh, I don't know if we'd ever brought it up or not, so I throw it out here. Um, I get the point oh oh three, so uh, 3 mil. Okay, well, whatever size you want. Really question, PEI film, what is this for? So... It's, quote-unquote, the latest, greatest in print services. It's what uh, um, Prusa kind of popularized with the Mark II, I believe. They've got it built into their their uh, their heated beds, and it works fantastic. Yep, I got a couple sheets myself. Okay, so you... So affix- what, do you just lay it over your print bed, like Captan or something? Yeah, it has 3M uh, adhesive on the offside. And you just apply it to your bed, print at your normal temps that you would, and you let it cool down. They just pop right off. Oh, I might have tried that. That's cool. I've printed with Altum, but not, I mean, that's on industrial printers because it's like 450 degrees you need for the nozzle. But yeah, I never heard of doing it for a print bed. That's cool. Yeah, and that Altum film, it's very expensive too. Yep. Uh, you can do some cool stuff with it, though. It's very uh, temperature-stable, makes strong prints. Well, it looks, for me, it would be less than a $10 purchase to get at least a sheet of this to adhere to the bed. And honestly, it's not that I fear or have had actual bad times of getting prints off. I've had one or two, but I. But it's the kind of thing, it's the peace of mind that when you put it on, prints will come off easier. And for that price, it's hard to beat. Yeah, Um. if... <laughs> If you use glue stick on it, it's going to stick. So if, if I'm having something that's giving me issues, PEI with glue stick, a, a, yeah, that it's going to stick. Um, a, uh, a note, they have a, a, a shiny side and a matte side. They will apply the adhesive to whichever side you want it on. So if you want the shiny side up, you don't need to change your order at all. But if you want the more matte side so you don't get that gl- super glossy finish on your print, uh, you can request that they put the adhesive on the shiny side, and they will. That's how I did mine. I got three sheets like that. While I like how nice the the super glass mirror surface looks right off the print, the second it touches anything, it starts getting scratched up and looks like poo. So I've always preferred the matte finish on it. Have you printed ABS on it at all? I have not, no. Um, once I get my FT5 upgraded to this new bed, that's when I'm going to go into ABS mode. But um, everything I've seen and others that have reviewed PEI, it works with everything, including nylon. So ABS, nylon, ASA, 
ABS. Probably wouldn't want to print Ultima on it, though. So, yeah. <laughs> my question is, Liam, Liam's probably used the most different types of um, print surfaces. What do you think is your best surface to use? If it's working properly, really hot glass. But I have, well, right now I have one printer that that works on. Um, the others can't get up to temp or the specific glass plate that I have just doesn't get that sticky feel when it's up to temp. But if you have what good glass... What do you mean glass, by really hot? Like 100? Well... 100 Fahrenheit? 60? So, so 70 for PLA, where most people would say 60. So 70 on... Okay. Like, yeah, 10 degrees above what maybe you would normally print at, and it gets that kind of sticky feel to it. But the glass has to be that good stuff that gets that sticky feel. I, I don't know how many... Any it's other way to borax glass, yeah, yeah, pyrex, uh, borosilicate, 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 yeah. But it also has to be flat, and that's where I run into the problem with my CR10. That sheet has quite a bow on it, so it gets glue sticked. Yeah, but is that a true high quality glass? I mean, it's what you got with the CR10. I mean, yeah, probably not. It's probably, you know, <laughs> who knows what they, what sheets, what the sheet looked like when they cut it out and what the quality of the glass is. But I use Captain Tape for everything. All my, well, my new Delta, I'm just using glue stick right now on the aluminum bed and it works fine. But Pretty much use glue stick for everything. I am going to, I just ordered Captain Tape so that I can put it on the uh, Delta because I like just being able to spray it with the alcohol and water mixture and it just basically pops off. But that's me. Yeah, Captain Tape's great. The problem I have with Captain Tape is ultimately it's more expensive than this stuff when you take into account the durability and the fact that you're going to have a seam if you have a big piece of glass where you're um, applying it. Um, I, I'm not patient. The, the water and alcohol trick works just as well with this stuff, which is great if you're not patient like me. I have my original sheet on my FT5 still. I ordered three. I, I, how many months is that? It's been several months now because I know I, I shared with Aaron way back when we I, found it. Yeah. I so, think I mean, that's it's probably been... been five months, six months maybe. Yep. Yep, exactly. I've got another sheet around here. I just I was trying to look for it to show you. I was showing you guys uh, a little strip I had left of it uh, just to try to get an idea. Um, but uh, yeah, I got I got a sheet around here somewhere. Uh, very cool. Um, so I might actually look into that. I mean, my glass I definitely feel it like get a little tacky. Um, but I'm all I'm I'm so paranoid. I always put down at least a little bit of glue. And the last print I did, uh, it. I literally just touched it basically and it just fell right off. The bed cooled down completely and it just came off unbelievably easy. So I'm going to keep this at least in my queue to keep looking at. So if I have that problem, there's one solution to it. I haven't felt the need to test my glass yet, but you said the easiest way to test your glass is basically take like a metal ruler, put it on its thin end and then like take it across your bed and then you'll see if any parts of that ruler come up off of the bed then you know you have some l amount of um in of uh, in per in perfection in your glass yeah and i i think before all of this talking about 
um, print services, I should have prefaced it with, if what you're doing now works, don't mess with it. I mean, that's that should be the golden rule of 3D printers. If the thing you're doing works right now, don't mess with it, because surely it's it'll get worse. Um, the upgrading for the sake of upgrading, that's going to cost you a world of pain in 3D printing. Oh, come on. Sometimes it's just fun to start new things, so come on. Oh, no, dude. I'm a total glutton. I'm speaking from experience. Because <laughs> if you're in this hobby and you enjoy making things, you're, you most likely enjoy testing out process of doing things, too. So go ahead. Try it. Like door with the glass. <laughs> I'd just print something without, without any adhesion, heat the bed up, see if it sticks. What's the worst that's going to happen? You got to pick off some goo off your hot end? Big deal. If it never broke, I'd get bored. Right. Gotcha. That's half the fun is when stuff breaks is fixing it. I mean, Just come on. One, one caveat about measuring the flatness on your bed. Glass is a poor thermal conductor. Don't measure it while it is heating. It will work. After it's sat at heat for a few minutes, then measure it. Because what you're going to see is when something's cold, it'll be flat. While it's warming, it's going to bow. When it gets a temperature, it's going to flatten back out. And so either measure it cold or measure it after it's been sitting at whatever temperature it needs to be for five or ten minutes. Well, and that's it what I definitely makes with, a difference. With uh, Liam, you you tape all your you you four quarter tape your stuff down with thermal conductive tape. That's great, but are you possibly causing a bow because you're restricting it from flattening by holding with the glue? I mean, I don't know. And with glass, you're going to have to hold it at that temperature. Like when your bed says it's that temperature, you've got to actually hold it at that temperature for a while for the glass to actually get to that temperature. You're, you're, you're testing your, your, your temperatures being set at whatever the aluminum bed is, not the glass. Yeah, the thermistor's embedded in your in your bed. And same thing when you're leveling, you should let it come up and stay at temperature for a while as well for for the same reasons. But no, the uh the thermal pads they'll they'll let things slide around a bit. Gotcha, gotcha. There was another link you put in there? Yeah, this is a 3D kit bash does some great looking models and toys and they do have a selection of free models as well if you go over there and look um just just a really cool site to go and get some stuff downloaded and even their free stuff um they have this one model that looks like it came out of uh biohazard no no uh bioshock the uh, gosh the underwater dude with the drill hand looking thing i've, I've printed out a couple of those for the kid yeah, those guys are cool. I actually met the mother of the guy that designed those in a coffee shop one day. <laughs> Just kind of random. But the guys with the drill hands. Yeah, we're sitting at a coffee shop. She's at the next table, and she was talking about her son being this uh, concept artist video game cat guy. And, uh, yeah, I started talking to her because, it, you know, I was like, I'm not meaning to eavesdrop, but this sounds interesting. And her son designed those. I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. I love Bioshock. Wow, these are definitely high quality designs. Um, I'm pretty damn impressed. And they, they, he's got some very nice ones from uh, what is it, Sky Wars, Space Wars, or something. And I love the naming. So Skull like, Wars. Yeah, 
I'm looking at one called Sleeping Bag, which would be the, uh, oh my god, my brain, Tauntaun, that they cut uh-huh. open and slept in. It's a Tauntaun skull. Cause yeah, they, yeah the Star, Star Wars Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Well, yeah, but they can't Tom-tom. say Tauntaun because that's a registered name, so they have to come up with ingenious names. Some of these are fantastic. Oh, they got uh, oh, they got some cool stuff. They got the Rancor. They've got uh, Admiral Akbar. <laughs> yeah, I like Second Shooter. <laughs> you know, I, it's, <laughs> it's funny shooter, you po- it's, it's it's funny you posted this, Liam, because when I first started printing, I came across this accident and, uh, prone. <laughs> <laughs> saved a cu- saved a couple of them, but never got around to printing them. I need to go back and uh, relook this, and uh, definitely do print some of these. Yeah, they're they're beautiful models. Everything I've ever looked at or or printed from them has been printable without supports. So I mean, it's just. Great stuff. Very cool indeed. Sleeping bag. That's what they call the Tauntaun skull. Sleeping bag skull. That's great. <laughs> okay, looks like Jonas is not going to be joining us. Uh, maybe got too busy. Um, I did have another link in here, and it's really I wanted to get your guys' feeling on some of these prices. Um, it was an article on 3D... ERS.org. We've brought plenty of links from them in the past, I'm going to say. Um, and this one is about Black Friday discounts and sales. Um, I'm going to say this might be like one of the first years, at least, I'm going to guess, where there's like actually some good things that are going to happen besides full blown printers. Um, some people are also having sales on like uh, packs of uh, filaments or just discounts on. Of filaments like um matter hackers is one of the sites we brought up plenty of times they're going to have anywhere from 10 to 20 percent discount on its entire store and looking at a uh and looking at a discount of 15 percent on all filament that's not a crazy deal but i'm going to tell you that might be a good enough deal to get me to move oh so speaking of filament manufacturers um i just thought i'd mention that Proto Paradigm is currently no more. What? They went out of business? If you go to the website, it says we're down for maintenance. And then if you look into it on their Facebook page, some sort of manufacturing issue is kind of all they're saying at the moment. But it doesn't look like there's going to be any filament from them for, for a while. But don't oh, they man. make their I was... own filament? They, like, I thought they made their own stuff like locally that, that's in the U.S. what I was under the impression... Of as if well. they do, they're probably buying pellet stock from somebody in China and they're extruding it. So they're not really making their own. They're just processing their own. But they made like it a does say filament. circumstances beyond our control. No, no, you're thinking of... Um, oh, protopasta. Protopasta. Yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry, yeah. But I thought both of them were making their own filament in the U.S. It was like they had their own manufacturing so that they could control protopasta their quality. does. But yeah, if you're listening to one of the old yeah, episodes and wondering where the $5 filament um, spools went, that, that's right now, they're they're not. That's too bad. Yeah, because they had really good filament. I mean, I bought a, I bought a quite a bit of stuff from them. Gotcha, yeah, gotcha. me as well. Um, one of the sales I'll at least mention here, at least got me looking at it, it's a mono-price uh, mini Delta 3D printer for $160. Bucks. Um, that to me sounds like a fair price. What kind of build platform do they have on that? It's round. 
Really, Liam, you think? Is it flat, too? It looks pretty flat. It's it's more than likely aluminum. Uh, it says heated print bed. The heated build plate maintains a temperature from 50 to 100 to improve your print quality r- reliably with different filaments. It's also removable, making it easy to remove the finished product. I do not see what it's made out of. I don't. I was more he was like, asking if what's it was heated or not. What's the dimensions? Like, is it? I am not on the same page as you. Um, I think it's like 120 by 180. Yeah, that's reasonable. That's the problem with the deltas, though. It's a, like this round. That's the only problem I have with delta. This delta I have is it's a round platform. You can't really fit a lot of stuff on it. <laughs> it's meant for like one thing. And you print it very well. Yeah, yeah it's like it's, the, you know if they say it's you know 200 millimeters in diameter your actual effect of printing area is more like 150 because you you know most stuff you print's kind of rectilinear you know yeah, so unless you're printing like a vase it's like you can never take advantage of the whole area so like yeah my delta it's about a 240 250 uh millimeter radius on the uh or diameter on the uh build plate and I suppose I have three hundred and twenty when the when the a nozzle's perched up at the home, but it'll only really safely print at that diameter at probably two fifty, you know, because of the the way that the deltas work. Has auto bed leveling? Yeah, it's one ten by one twenty. Um, it's got a handle, so. Your on-the-go manager would be perfect for them. Yeah, and it only weighs four um four pounds, which I'm going to say that really is light. Is it out of bed leveling or out I of calibration? I have absolutely never once complained about the weight of my 3D printer. <laughs> it yeah, says auto bed leveling, but then it says self-calibrates. So who knows? Yeah, that's it's a thing. Is like the auto bed leveling's fine out of Delta. It doesn't really. I don't know. It's weird how it auto bed, bed levels, but it's more effective to do the calibration because that takes into the effect of your tower lean, which is your um, rails that go up. It takes that in and it does all these measurements and whatnot. And that's all built into the new Marlin firmware. So I'd rather have it do auto or auto calibration than auto bed leveling. Bed leveling is fine if you know that you're square. But the problem with the Delta is you never know if you're square. Square is the hardest thing to, to fix in the Deltas. It's because of the three-point articulation. It's so hard to get it square. That is the worst. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, the last link I want to throw out there was a link from uh, Hackaday. Um, I don't read much, I'll say, but what I did was I loaded this on my phone. I used an application called Say It, which speaks the article to me as I read it, so it's much easier for me to follow. Um, and it's a short article going on the topic of uh what to do after something prints. Um, like I was talking to my one buddy, I said, 
there's different kinds of making you can do when you talk about 3D printing. There's the designing of the aspect. You know, you can sit down and become proficient at designing things, and that's one type of making. You can become pro, um, pro, um, pro, um, efficient on the printer itself, designing it, tweaking it, maintaining it, building it, or building one from scratch. And then there's the post-3D printing processing, which I think is an art form onto itself. The ability to take a print off a printer and then do post-production work to it and have it look remarkably good. Or as the article kind of says, making it look like something that didn't come off of a come off of a um a um 3D printer. Um a couple of the steps they mentioned in here I was already aware of from you guys, which is uh, right after, well, first it goes over layer height, 0.1, 0 0.2, 0 0.3, and they were very, very clear about, yes, for some things, 0.1 will give you the best type of detail, but it does come at an a extreme cost of time versus 0.2 or 0.3, but there is a whole wide range of things you can print at 0.3, and it will come out just fine. Um, the other thing they went into was once the print comes off and you want to do post-processing to it, you're going to have to sand it. And what you guys said was sanding and um, using um, primer on it and then sand it is a very uh, useful step in getting it to look like it didn't come off a 3D printer, basically. Um, one of the things they said, which I think I witnessed, was if you print in black, when you're doing the sanding process, it's going to be very obvious to you when you're making progress, because when you sand it, it basically becomes white, which I thought was a great tip for people doing this for the very first time. So you can get an idea of what it looks like. So you'll know when you're making progress on the actual print. And then after doing that a couple of times, uh, they used something I've never heard you guys mention. Uh, I want to say it was called uh, XTC3D, which is a two-part A uh, EM. E, um, e epoxy product specifically designed for smoothing and sealing 3d prints i can't say i've ever heard of this stuff it's not bad um it fills in little details but it's not bad it's probably the most popular of the epoxy coatings for like filling in layers and stuff personally i like to like sand and polish a little bit uh, rather than use that stuff which is a little more tedious but looks a little better but it's it's pretty good, you know. It's worth the money. It's worth a try. If you but um, don't use it on something where you got a lot of little details, it definitely fills them in, no matter what they say in the advertising. Gotcha, gotcha. And the one thing they made sure to make clear is the temperature and consistency of it changes drastically. So if it isn't warm enough when you put it on, it will cover every single detail on your item. And if it's too loose, too warm, it will reveal those, um, you know, um, details clear. But sometimes you want to hide, you know, the, the reason you're doing this is to hide some of the ridges from the print. So it's a very uh, difficult process to get right the very first time. They definitely said, take a lot of your, um, take a lot of your um, scrap prints always make this in very very small batches uh until you really learn how to do this kind of thing which i thought was great tips I, yeah i looked at uh getting some of that set in my cart for a while and i watched several videos on it and and decided exactly what james was talking about that it you lose detail if if it's something that has that much detail that i want to preserve i'm just gonna 
use a uh, filler paint and sand it down because you're going to be sanding down and painting anyways after this. Otherwise, you just have this thing that looks like this weird glass layered plastic conglomeration. Another thing with epoxies, any epoxy, um, to get a flat surface, you have to lay that surface so that it's flat. You can't just dunk. You got to lay it so that you don't get drooping or drying in places that, you know, clumping in places you don't want it. It's basically just a thin epoxy is what it looks like. It's a fast set epoxy, five minute epoxy or whatever. Um, it uh, It's a little different. Uh, it's got a thixotropic agent in it, which helps prevent what you're talking about, the clumping and stuff. And, um, when you mix it, it actually has a lower viscosity than when it's sitting. So it kind of helps combat the sag. You know, you paint it on the surface and when you're painting it, it's thinner than when it sits. It actually thickens slightly when it sits. Uh, it does pretty good at that, but it does fill in details. And when you use it, you want to make sure like epoxies in general, this goes for, it goes for this stuff as well, but epoxies in general, this goes for. You want to make sure when you use it, it is in the 70s temperature-wise. Or above. Like, or above. Yeah. No, no, no. no. In the 70s. Above, what's going to happen, if you mix yeah. any more than a little bit, uh, is it very quickly does something called exothermic, which is the epoxy curing reaction generates heat, which if it's a small amount of epoxy, that heat can dissipate. Or if it's in the 70s, generally, it's going to dissipate. They're designed for, you know, 72 degrees, basically. Um, heat also speeds any chemical reaction. So the epoxy generates heat, which speeds the reaction that's generating heat, which speeds the reaction that's generating heat, and it feeds off itself. And so, like, an epoxy that's, you know, at 72, if it has a pot life of 10 minutes... At 82, it's going to, like, go off in, like, five minutes. And at 92, it's going to go off in, like, 30 seconds, and it's going to be smoking and releasing fumes and stuff. Like, it's an uh, exponential kind of curve. Like, the warmer you get, it doesn't just react a little bit faster. It reacts a whole lot faster. Like, I've had epoxies catch fire, you know, for mixing a little bit too much <laughs> and having them react. So if you're going to use this, it doesn't work badly. Like if you're doing a vase or something like that, it actually works really well. If you're doing something with a lot of tiny details, you're going to lose them. Make sure you're in a climate-controlled environment. Don't mix any more than you need and use it up as quickly as you can. Because if you mix too large an amount, that heat it's going to generate is either going to make it exotherm or as it warms up, it's going to make it thin out for a few minutes and then thicken up like crazy really quickly uh, you know so it's pretty sensitive but in the right environment it, it actually works really well it wipes out like every little line and it's like a glass smooth surface and you you know you don't really see the clear layer on top of stuff as much as you think you would but i think you need to in certain cases, you're going to use that, but in certain cases, I think you're probably better off just using a high build uh, primer or. Yeah, know, if you're willing to do the it's... sanding and polishing, yeah, go that route. If you just want something that you could just paint on there and it's going to be smooth, the, the epoxy works better than the primer. Yeah, but it never really 
There's always so many issues with epoxy. It's it's it's. Oh. Yeah. I just worked with epoxy. Yeah, it's sensitive stuff. Oh, I. No oh, epoxy. Ah. <laughs> yeah, I've been in the composites industry for years, and it's all epoxies and stuff like that. It's it's uh it's so sensitive, like. Any kind of epoxy is so sensitive to environmental conditions and stuff. It's hard to get the same result twice unless, you know, you're like, okay, I'm in a room at 72 degrees with 50% humidity, you know. If it's 100%, it's going to be different. <laughs> if it's 0%, it's going to be different. Yeah, it's just so sensitive to anything around it. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, then they go on to um, sanding it, filling it, uh, primer. And what they do at the very end is paint in a clear coat. And that's the kind of thing, honestly, I always forget about doing the actual clear coat after the fact. Not only protects it, but I honestly think just probably gives it at least a little bit of a better overall look and feel. So they're the epoxy, then sand, then prime, then finish, then all that stuff. I mean, what's the epoxy actually doing then? I don't know, but that's a hell of a lot of steps. It's a lot of extra steps. If you're you're going to be sanding and priming and all that stuff, get a high fill. Go to the auto parts store. Get a high fill glaze. Don't don't bother with the uh, spray-on stuff you get at the hardware store. Go to an auto parts store and get high fill glaze, and that's that's on like it's a mud. You know? Yeah, glazing putty's going to work great. Real thin, though. It it and it. Then it dries and it's sandable, super sandable. It's, it's. I mean, it's, and you use. It's like a liquid bondo. Well, you use a wet sand. You wet sand it, and it just comes out glass smooth. Yeah, I think people don't realize there's products out there that you can just go to the hardware. Everybody goes to the hardware store to pick up stuff or whatever. But when you're making, don't be afraid to go to the auto parts store and ask them what kind of whatever, you know, hey, do you have something that works like this or whatever? Um, I've done, I built a few cars and stuff, so, and I painted a few cars, and there is some really good glaze out there. Don't be afraid to go to the auto parts store and pick up glaze. Just skip the primer and go right glaze. Yeah, I've done a lot of fiberglass and carbon fiber molds and stuff like that. Same kind of thing. Um, the one thing I will say, though, about the uh, the that epoxy coating, if you don't feel like sanding, if you don't want to do a whole bunch of finish work, if you just want to take the print and paint a layer of the stuff on, and it's not something where you got a bunch of tiny details, it does a pretty good finish. Like, for a no work, just mix it up and paint it on kind of finish, like, it does pretty good. I've never bother you know polishing and priming and all that kind of stuff with it to me that's just a waste of time just just go ahead and prime it you know why why even put it in the epoxy but yeah if you want like something quick and you don't want to put a whole lot of elbow grease into it it does work pretty good you know just again make sure you do it in a climate controlled environment yeah but so will like a super high um gloss finish uh polyurethane i mean that's gonna yeah. You know, the thing about this stuff though is it sticks really well to ABS and stuff like that. Polyurethane doesn't like. Plus, I don't know what they do with it, but it doesn't have that like look of like a clear layer on top. You know what I mean? Which is kind of weird because then they recommend to clear coat it, but uh, it, it like it doesn't look like you coated it with something after you do it. I don't know how they do that. 
But uh, yeah, I'm with you. If you really are concerned about the finish, you know, glaze this, glaze it, glaze it, and wet sand it. You know, there's no substitute for that. And I mean, you can work up a nice mirror finish. One thing I've done with uh, um, ABS and PLA both is uh, no, without even glazing, I just over extrude a little bit to make sure I get a nice filled surface. Then I wet sand to about 800 or 1,000 grit, and then I give it a quick flame polish with a propane torch. And it just gives it a like a nice mirror, almost kind of mirror shine. On ABS, if you want a really good shine, if you sand it like that and then just brush it real lightly or mist it with acetone, it gives it a really great shine. But it's pretty labor intensive. And on thin, small parts, the flame polish will warp it if you're not super fast. Like literally, if the flame is on there for more than like half a second, it's going to warp if it's thin. But, uh, yeah, wet sand and a flame polish, I mean, you can practically see your reflection in it. The one thing I never found looking at the XTC 3D was what does it do for the strength of the part? Nothing. No, it's going to be actually flexible. So it's going to, if the part moves, it's going to move. It's, epoxy really isn't that strong. I mean, it isn't like it causes it to be stronger. Gotcha. Makes sense. So uh, did, did you guys have any other topics that you wanted to go over before we end it? One quick thing, actually. Yeah, I've been, uh, um, I spent today going around. I had to download a plugin for Fusion 360, one of these plugins I use. Uh, I had to update it. And uh, I started going through the plugin library they've got, their uh, app store. And uh, I should have the links handy. I should have even brought this up without the links handy. <laughs> But they have a couple plugins for Fusion 360. Uh, they've got one that will slice your model up into chunks that fit on your build bed if it's too big for your build bed. And then they've got another that will actually auto arrange all the chunks into your build bed. So I'm going to test those out in this coming week, hopefully, let you know how they work out and I'll be a little better prepared and post links. But so if you got a model too big for your build bed and you've modeled it in Fusion 360, you can take these two. And uh, the first one's going to cut it into sections that fit in your build bed. Plus, it's going to add some geometry so they kind of puzzle piece together. And uh, the second one will, you know, auto arrange them all so they fit in your build volume. So I'll let you know how they work. And if they're uh, worth a darn, I'll uh, bring them up again next week and... Uh, actually post links and all that stuff like I should be doing this time around. Gotcha, gotcha. Honestly, I, I didn't even realize they had plugins for it. I will say there are free apps, trial apps, paid apps, uh, and it looks like some of the plugins uh, specifically say for Windows, Mac, or Linux. So uh, that's the only thing you got to look at when you're here, just to be sure. Um, I will say I love the idea of plugins. To me, any software that has plugins is almost always better than software that doesn't have plugins. Fusion's really easy to write plugins for. It's very friendly to that kind of thing. Gotcha, gotcha. Very cool. Uh, yet another reason for me to give 360 a serious looking at. Oh, if you're going to do this type of hobby stuff, you need to uh, really look into Fusion. I mean, it's... Even if you it's, have it's to run Windows, we're you may have to run Windows to get all the functionality, but it's worth it. It it may be the only thing yeah. that it's worth running Windows for. 
Yeah. Um, actually, I just want to say, uh, as far as plugins goes, there's a guy on GitHub, Patrick something or other is his name. I can't remember his last name. But on GitHub, he goes under Tapnair, T-A-P-N-A-I-R. And he's got like 40 or 50 plugins he's written. And um, I'm not going to go through them. But this guy is, uh, if you're into the uh, 3D printing or CNC, this guy's written half a dozen plugins that are going to be useful to you. Like I uh, I had to look through all this stuff and I've probably, I've probably got 15, 20 of his plugins installed in my build of Fusion 360. So, you know, if you go on GitHub and search for Tapnair, T-A-P-N-A-I-R, he's going to have a bunch of good plugins for Fusion, including one that uh, lets Fusion interface directly with Octoprint, which is nice. Very cool. The link to him will be in the note. I believe that one's called Octofusion. And James, could you explain that one? Because I saw that earlier today, and I didn't quite understand um, what it meant by, uh, you know, working together with it. Okay, so if you're in Fusion and you've got a model, and you uh, activate the plugin, it's going to bring up a dialog window. Um, it's going to have any sort of printer profiles and slicer profiles, um, as dropdowns in your printing options in Fusion 360. So you can model it up and say, I'm printing it on this printer. It's going to be ABS, medium quality, whatever, you know, this layer height and all this stuff. Like whatever, um, profiles you've set up in Octoprint are going to show up in Fusion. In Fusion, it's going to slice and do everything to your model and it's going to send a printable file directly to octoprint so you can um you know you don't have to export an stl to octoprint you know import the stl the stl into octoprint and you know slice it and all that kind of stuff you can slice directly from a fusion model and just send a printable file to octoprint remotely oh okay cool thank you yeah, I could definitely see that helping people's uh, workflows be a little bit uh, thinner, a little bit leaner. Yeah, so you don't have to go into Cura and you know set everything up. You can just do it right in Fusion. You know, if you've if you've set everything up in Octoprint, you don't you know you just pick whichever profile you want to use, and that's it. Very cool, very cool. Uh, I want to thank everyone for coming out. I want to thank everyone who uh, did come here live. Looks like we did at least have uh, a few people uh, catch the show live. And if you want to check out the show live, do, do not forget the easiest way is to go to um, patreon.com slash the makers become a Patreon. Uh, if you are in financial trouble, you can't afford a Patreon. Shoot me an email, mail at podnuts.com. I will hook you up. Uh, if you want to send a voicemail to this show, do not forget 7076 Podnut. We will play it live on the show. Uh, and I want to thank everyone again, and we will talk to everyone in about a week.